You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Johnny T-shirt. <laughs> Man, you messed me up right out the gate. Welcome in to Inside Carolina Roundtable Podcast. graphic for it so i threw the game plan up there since this is your regularly scheduled game plan actually though this could be the game plan because what is the game plan moving forward for north carolina pile of folks already in the chat on, man y'all rushed the door at once i hope the bouncers are all right we got buck sanders jason staples and greg barnes and maybe a special guest in a little bit i'm your host tommy ashley sponsored by johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com Let's get it going. Since we have El Jefe in here, I'm going to him first. Buck Sanders, not usually your spot on a Thursday night, but certainly relevant to this podcast and this discussion. Uh, what's going on in here? What's going on around North Carolina football these last few days? Can you help us out? Well, I was I was going to say to start with that if this is the game plan, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a very short show because <laughs> – None of us have the game plan, I don't believe. Uh, it, it's, everything has happened so fast, even the rumor mill hasn't uh, ginned up yet. So we're just, uh, all, all we can do right now is sit back and observe what's going on. Um, and everybody's been able to do that um, at Inside Carolina because like every five minutes, something new breaks. Uh, if you hadn't been paying attention, in the last a couple of hours, Keyshawn Silver has hit the transfer portal. So that's just how quickly things are happening these days. And we can speculate about, you know, the causes of it and why this and why that. But as far as having a game plan, you're looking at the wrong people. Absolutely. A lot of opinions, not a lot of power. Um, even though the Inside Carolina message boards have flashed their power in the past, especially when it comes to uh, – to coaching hires and whatnot. Greg, I'll get you in. And I just want to say props to Jason Staples for getting the memo on the jerseys for tonight. Uh, Buck Sanders and Michelle Hillison and all the Inside Carolina crowd came up with a great 20-year anniversary shirt. And it is relevant. There is no off-season Inside Carolina 20 years on the back. Greg, uh, speak some – Speak some truth and peace here as we get rolling. Well, Tommy, I think that the first thing to say is that everybody just needs to take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Look, if everybody watching this, listening to this, wanted big-time football, well, guess what? 
when you have guys, coaches that are successful like Phil Longo, other teams are going to want him. And if there's an in, if there's an interest level, which there was for Phil Longo with his relationship with Luke Fickle, uh, Longo's, as, as Taylor told us last night, uh, apparently Longo's wife um, is from the Wisconsin area. Sometimes that's all you need. And what you have to do if you want to continue on a trajectory of being a division champ and being a ACC championship contender is when these things happen, you cannot panic. Every time you lose somebody in your organization, it is an opportunity to upgrade. And that's what North Carolina has to do. Now, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, Jason and I have told you for a long time that Phil Longo has been special for North Carolina. I think you make the case he's the best offensive coordinator that Carolina's probably ever had. So it's a tall is there, task. Is, is there another question? I mean, is there another candidate, really? I don't think so. I just left no. the door open in case there was somebody from like the 70s uh, who was. <laughs> but can you think of anybody that's been well, better yeah, than Phil? For the, for the couple of years he was here, Seth Trail was near that level. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so, yeah, I put him in that in that same zip code. But as far as uh, a body of work for four years, no, I don't think anybody touches Phil. Yeah, so uh, it's going to be a tough task, but that's what Mac Brown has to do. And Mac knows that. Mac's been around business for a long time. He's a Hall of Famer for a reason. Uh, and so it's just going to be a matter of, of working his contacts, which he has a ton of them. He knows everybody. And it's finding somebody to come in. I think really the, the interesting thing here is um, how quickly will it happen? I have a hard time seeing anything happening before the bowl game, which you know lends to some other – questions about who's calling plays which we can get into uh, but then the other part of it is does he tweak anything and uh, Jason kind of started us on that path last night uh, but when Matt came in he said look I, I want Oklahoma I want what Lincoln Riley does here offensively and that's what Phil Longo's done uh, we know they're very explosive we also know there's been a tendency to struggle a little bit in the red zone which we saw the last three games of the year. So how does Mac want to move forward? Is he just getting another guy kind of like Phil and then deal with the, the fallout beyond? Or does he try to say, you know what? I tried it. It was okay. Uh, don't want to mix it up. I would assume he'll stay on the same path. But those are the things that Mac has to figure out. And at this point in time, we just don't have enough information to be able to that suggests or indicate which path he may take. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, you mentioned Max said it won't be Oklahoma. Well, Dick Crum talked about how North Carolina fans wanted to be Oklahoma on the weekends and Harvard during the week. Damn, full circle, Buck. I mean, isn't it amazing <laughs> how that works? Jason Staples, I'm bring you in. You have consistently been right, and not that you need an ego boost at all. Definitely not. You <laughs> – <laughs> Love it. You, and by uh, the way, Jason, I brought this tonight. So. Yeah, we're going to need that. <laughs> you have consistently nailed it. Um, you, you know, I, we've been pretty good on the game plan podcast in the past. Um, and, and once in a while, we're pretty good on our preseason predictions. But day to day, uh, the day to day goings of this North Carolina football team, especially this year, you've been all over the issues and what's going on. I mean, just. You said last night on the emergency pod that there was no surprise 
you know, going on. And quite frankly, four years of an offensive coordinator in this day and age, unless you're at Virginia Tech, um, where those dudes bunk together for 30, it just doesn't happen. So, um, and Joe Morris, Dick Crum, 100% said Oklahoma on the weekends and Harvard on the during the week in the chat there. Sorry. Jason, your, your view since we talked last night and, and what's going on? You know, uh, this is where really for, for the first time all season. You're real staticky. I'll, I'll check to see what the problem is. But this is really where the, the, the for the first time all season, uh, you know, I, I see the problem. Um, that should that should fix it. We, is that better? Mm-mm. All right. Well, we'll we'll get it right. Um, for the first time all season, I feel like I really don't have a strong handle on where things are going to go from here. Uh, and I think partly because if we're going to look at sort of the 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 coordinator track record and and the 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 coaching hire track record that Mac Brown has had since taking back back over. It's been a little uneven, and you don't really know what to expect at this stage. I mean, let's think about it. You got Greg Robinson, Jay Bateman, uh, then Phil Longo was really the second option or third option that time through, right? I mean, Graham Harrell was supposed to be the guy. So then you had Graham Harrell, then Phil Longo, and then Gene Chizik. I mean, there really isn't a strong pattern there, I don't think, other than that at least with Robinson and, uh, and Chizik, there, was, there were significant ties to, to Mac Brown from before. But, I mean, can we really think of somebody that has strong ties to Mac Brown from before that, that is a viable candidate on the offensive side? I, I can't – well – Major Applewhite would be the one name that I'd think of. Yeah, Major Applewhite's one, and you know, then we could really have. I, I actually contemplated uh, having some fun leading this off by saying, "Well, you know, I think there's an obvious choice." So I'm just going to go with what I would say, but be a little less uh, uh, sarcastic about this. But you know, there is an obvious choice here uh, <laughs> that you know would be a, a really natural. Uh, offensive coordinator hire has had a strong track record of, of offensive success at places like North Carolina uh, and, you know, a, a spread offense type thing that, that uh, approach that Carolina's had. Larry in the past. Fedora is where you go. And you could even do a head coach in waiting for him. Larry Fedora, right? Jesus, has, I'm has, a, I'm a, you're going to blow this place up and all those fires are going to spread to the rest know, of us. Get Matt, your Matt, microphone fixed. Yeah. <laughs> Carolina Brown. just finished paying off Fedora's <laughs> Payment. And he's got connections to Mac Brown. So, but no, I mean, really, I don't. I, I all that is a long way to say I don't really have a strong sense of where they're going to go from here, because I don't think there's an obvious answer at this point. Yeah, get your mic fixed because I'm about to get Buck and Greg in on something. Um, because Buck, I think um, you might not agree, or or you might have some pushback, and I'll set you up to sort of preview. Your, your column for tomorrow, um, some pushback that the offense is the cause of the defense's issues. And I think people on the message boards, when they heard us talking about that, 
sort of make it really black and white. And, and Jason, you can go further into that when you get your stuff straight. <laughs> but Buck and, and Greg and, and Buck, I'll let you start. There's a lot of reasons why North Carolina's defense has been bad. Is it purely because of the offense that they run, Buck? It, it's it. There's no way that that argument totally holds up, right? No, no, I, I, I don't buy into that argument at all. I mean, yes, you have the example of, well, he wanted Oklahoma's offense, and so now he's getting Oklahoma's defense, which typically sucks, right? So, um, so that just they just the two just go together. But I mean, if you look at uh, total defense. Uh, in 2020 and 2019, North Carolina was in the 50s, 50, 49 and 58 in total defense those years. And that's a long way from being 114. So if, which is what they are this year. I, I, I do think that there are, there's certain pieces of that uh, narrative that may hold up. Jason alluded to last night, which are, uh, if your offense practices a certain way, then, uh, perhaps, uh, that doesn't build toughness on the defensive side or the offensive side. It doesn't build toughness in either direction based on the way, uh, the offense practices. Uh, but Gene Chizik this whole year has said that, uh, he and Longo had, uh, were very simpatico in terms of. Uh, if Chiswick wanted uh, Longo to run a certain kind of offense, a certain number of plays, a certain number, a certain way, then Longo would accommodate that. And so, you know, I don't know how much th there is to that. I think there are certainly when you see high-powered offenses, uh, it's not uncommon to see defenses that aren't as good. Few exceptions. And, and those, those few exceptions typically have access to a great amount of talent like Alabama is like fifth and ninth and fifth in offense ninth in defense um, Michigan is uh, very high up um, in offense and defense They're in the top 10 in both categories but you know virtually everybody else is all over the board if you look at the top 10 offenses in uh, this year in the NCAA uh, you've got defenses that stack up anywhere from uh, like fifth um, to 84th. Um, and there's several in that category that, that are, you know, 60, 70, 80 um, in that uh, category that are in the top 10 offenses. So, you know, there's been this tendency over the last decade and a half, I suppose, maybe two decades, um, that the very most successful football teams are very powerful on offense. And I think a lot of programs have leaned in hard to that, including Alabama, including Georgia, um, including those teams that the calling card used to be defense. Now they're leaning more on offense, but I, I just don't think it is. Uh, if you want to blame something on the defense, uh, if you want to blame the offense for how the defense at, was at, at North Carolina this year, 
I think that's a hard case to make. You know, I, that I, the defense just they had enough problems of their own uh, without uh, borrowing and and from and saying, well, the offense was responsible for uh, the defense's problems. Mm-hmm. Now, I I don't buy it. I I think uh, I'm pretty skeptical about that. There, there may be some ways, and we've talked about program culture that they could practice differently to build toughness. I mean, in agreement with that, but. Um, it, in some circles, people were saying that uh, North Carolina ran off a top 20 offensive coordinator to keep a 110th defensive coordinator. I don't think that was a case. Um, so, anyway, that uh, there's more to this than meets the eye, and yeah. there's different. There's a lot of different uh, facets to it and aspects to it, but I, I don't think we can blame. Uh, the offense for the defensive woes we saw this year. I'm going to get Greg in first, though, because yeah. I want to see – because I feel like I've got Jason down here, Buck in the corner, and Greg's a referee in the middle. Go, Greg. <laughs> well, I'm I'm with Buck here, but I, I want to – Jason can can clarify if – I don't think it needs clarifying, but if he needs to clarify, I can. But I, I, I think I need to say that what Jason told us – last night was not making an excuse for the defense. Um, he was just relaying information. And so I've been that, plenty critical of the defense and correct. how the defense has been coached for more than just this year. <laughs> correct. Correct. So I want to make sure that everybody is aware of that, but Jason can, he can dive into that in a minute. I've just got three, three things I want to say here, three bullet point items. Um, the first being um, that I think this kind of goes both ways, right? I mean, if if there's going to be criticism towards the offense for not showing the defense what it needs to see in practice, the counter is true. What did North Carolina's offense struggle against this year? Good defenses, good defensive fronts. Mm -hmm. So why couldn't Phil Longo say, hey, Gene, help me out. We need to see better defensive fronts so we can perform well against NC State and Clemson. So it works both ways. Uh, another key thing here is when we were able to share some information about how things went down with Jay Bateman when he left last December, we didn't hear anything about the offense. It was about defensive staff structure. Big time. Um, so I think that's an important thing because it had been an issue in years before, a, a significant issue, that we would have heard about that a little bit more. And then the other thing and this gets into something that, that Danny Cannell told us on the next level a couple of weeks ago, and I think, I think it's a good point. Um, we asked him this question about you know, if, if offensive systems can impact defenses. And, of course, you know he, he shared what we've already talked about in prior podcasts about you know, tempo does kind of play a role. That's not really a thing for Phil Longo, really. I mean, you know, if you look at times of possession and you look at number of snaps, Carolina's pretty much in the middle, maybe a little bit north of middle. Um, but what Cannell said is that when you get into situations where you have a head coach who is very offensive minded, then you get into a situation like Larry Fedora, what did Larry Fedora tell us? He didn't even go in the defensive meetings rooms. That was those guys problem. He was dealing with the offense and what did ha- what happened with Carolina during the Fedora era? He did a really good job recruiting offense, but defensive recruiting was lacking. And the same case can be made for Lincoln Riley uh, when he was at Oklahoma, because how about this? 
Lincoln Riley was offensive coordinator at Oklahoma for two years under Bob Stoops. The first year, Oklahoma was ninth nationally in defensive FEI. Uh, and then they were 57th. And even the year before he went to Oklahoma in 2014, as Carolina fans like to remember, when he was at ECU, uh, even that defense was ranked 70th nationally in defensive FEI. And that's adjusted for opponent. Uh, Carolina right now is 118. So uh, I just don't think there's, you know, is it something where the offense and the defense need to work together and be more um, agreeable in the offseason, especially in training camp? Sure. I mean, the more in line that you can have that, the more alignment that you have, the better. Uh, but just, you know, for that to be the reason the defense has just been kind of a cluster, I, I don't think that's the case. All right, Jason. Uh, sort of, let, let, a lot of folks, and there's probably been 10 threads on the message boards um, that, have, that have talked about this very subject. So let's, Buck, get your hourglass um, <laughs> and, and let's go. Yeah, let's talk about it because, I, I mean, I tend to believe that it's an excuse. But I also tend to see the numbers and say there's some there, – there's it's not an excuse. But is it coach-specific? Is it scheme-specific? I mean, I just don't buy it. They say they practice one-on-ones or ones versus ones in the spring and in camp. There's got to be some rational discussion and rational reason why Carolina's defense is at the bottom of the barrel. What is it? So my view on this, my less filtered view is that this ultimately boils down to a head coaching issue. That whenever you're talking about team alignment, team vision, uh, different sides of the ball feeling like maybe things aren't always being pulled in the same direction and a variety of other things that all falls back to the person whose job it is to make sure that everything is coordinated as a whole. Uh, and then beyond that, we talked, I mean, Greg, you're right. I mean, we talked all about this last year, even before Bateman uh, left. And when we gave the you know po post-mortem on that, that defensive staff was not in alignment last year. I mean, that defensive staff was pulling in, you know, three different directions really at one point. Uh, and so that's ultimately the head coach's job to step in and say, no, this is the one direction we're going to pull. Here's who, here's the horse I'm backing. And this is the way it's going to be. And if anybody else wants to pull in another direction, then, you know, that's going to be a problem with me. That's up to the head coach. And what I'm talking about when I'm talking about some of the stuff that the defensive side had some frustrations about, it's more along the lines of like, look, there's certain things that we need to see in order to get better at these things during the, during the, uh, during the year. Uh, defensive guys tend to like more situational work, for example. Right? They like to have inside run. They like to have, uh, you know, third and long, work third and long situations, you know, these sorts of things. Uh, and a lot of air raid folks, are not as keen on that. And that was actually a complaint about uh, Kendall Bryles when Kendall Bryles was at Florida state. 
and you know people who've coached opposite the Bryles offense, it's different because Bryles, you know, I, I was in the meeting room with Bryles when he said, "Look, I, you know, I just don't believe in doing all of the you know situational stuff and like we're going to work third down, third and long, third and long, third and long." It's like that's not real football. I believe in getting into practice and calling plays, and getting your guys used to playing football in rhythm. Well, defensive coaches are going like, yeah, but that's not what we see like against the other teams. And so so it's that sort of thing that is the kind of stuff that the defensive staff uh, that I've heard. Right. Uh, coming coming out of uh, out of the. Um, uh, out of the Carolina camp and, you know, things like. Uh, well, okay. Well, we're trying to get better here, and our our defensive line needs some reps in you know pass pro. We need more reps in just straight drop back stuff. Well, if if you're running more RPO stuff, we're not seeing all that much. We need to practice this read for our for our linebackers, and we're not getting that very much. It's that stuff. Now, ultimately, who's it on when the defense is this bad? It's not on the offense, right? There are certain things as a, as a as a head coach that you can do to say, okay, look, our defense is not good in this area, and we've got te- we've got personnel. We need to slow down, and we're going to take some extra periods so that our guys can work this on the defensive line to get better at this. That's stuff that you can do to try to help the defense. But the bottom line is, and, and you know, I, I said this in private conversation with another media member uh, earlier today. Uh, said, look, you know, defensive staff at Carolina can say all they want about uh, not always getting the support that they that they've needed on some of these things from the offensive side. But it's really not going to matter if you're not doing a great job coaching your guys in individual periods. If you can't get your guys to execute with good technique, with great technique, with perfect technique in individual periods, when that you're the only position, you're the only coach with them, you're working the stuff they have to do then, and you're not doing that, well, I mean, the game's over there. So that's where, again, I think a lot of this comes back to a head coaching thing where ultimately Mac Brown has to step in and say, you know what, I'm going to, I have to get everybody pulling in the same direction. This is a weakness on my team. And I'm going to find a way to make sure that that gets fixed. And if I have to step down and and make sure that we spend extra time on that and get that technique right in individual period, I'm going to do it. And at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, when I was at, when I was at Clemson at one point, I was I was in a practice at Clemson, and I watched Dabo Sweeney, who is you know kind of a Mac Brown type coach in the sense that he's not you know with one position group at any point he decided that there was one position group that day that was just not that things were not executing the way that he wanted. And he jumped in and he began to be the guy that double teamed with the position coach and worked hands-on through a significant portion of that practice with that group saying, no, we've got to do it this way. Yep. And I think at some point, that's what you have to do. That's your job as the head coach. That's part of what, you know, they brought Chiswick in to do to be the floating defensive coach coach to step in and fix certain things when they didn't when they weren't as they should be and I think we saw for example some some uh some improvement at the linebacker position as the year went on because I think Chiswick spent more time with them but at the end of the day it's the basic techniques and all of that that are the real problem on the Carolina defense 
I do think they would benefit from having uh, an offensive structure that is going to bring more toughness into the program. I think they need to, they need to find ways to inject toughness into the program as a whole. But again, that goes back to the head coach and making sure that that's going to be required in the way that they're going to practice on offense and defense. So, you know, can you succeed with all of this? Yeah, you can succeed and you should succeed when you have offenses that, that look like what Phil Longo's offenses have looked like. But you also, as a head coach have to have to say, okay, well, where, what do we need to do to be better at these other areas? Goal line goal line has been a problem on offense, you know, goal line red zone stuff. I think that's where the defense hurt the offense. And that again, goes back to how are you practicing in red zone in goal line? That means you're not handling those situational periods well enough. And that again, goes back to how you're structuring your practices. And that's more a head coach thing than it is just an individual coordinator thing. And that's not having this, the, the complementary football aspect that I think is so important of practicing those key situations because you can be a team that's not great between the twenties. And if you're great in the red zone on both sides of the ball, you're going to win more games. And it's things like that, that they they've got to get better on. They've got to improve on going into next year. And that's going to be Mac Brown having to step in and say, these are things we're going to emphasize and we're going to do it this way. Tommy, I brought this up a few weeks ago on the game plan, but it bears repeating now. Uh, Buck and I spent many an afternoon at Navy Fields when Butch Davis was in town. And Butch was not very hands-on. He would just kind of float around, look at offense, defense, special teams. But where he got involved every single time we were out there, and he talked about it, was inside run. Because that was the most important thing for his offense to be able to do is be able to run in the middle of the line and then for his defense to stop. So he was in that drill up close and personal because that meant so much to him in terms of the identity of his program. It's culture. It's culture. That's where you build your culture. But we've been talking about toughness on North Carolina football sidelines for a long, long time, across coaches, across staffs, across players. Um, I don't remember these discussions happening in in Mac 1.0. You know what I mean? I I don't remember having these issues. Carolina was, if anything, Carolina was a pretty B.A. bad something football team in 96, (laughs) 97, 98. Well, uh, Greg will, uh, and I don't agree with you, <laughs> speaking for Greg, uh, because on the defensive side of the ball, you're right. Yeah. You know, when on the defensive side of the ball, they had, you know, dudes over there, especially on the defensive line. You're talking about Greg Ellis and Bonnie Holiday and, you know, guys like that. Um, there, were, there were some pretty badasses over there. So you didn't want to use the word, but I don't mind. Uh, but on the, on the You're offensive the side, on the offensive side, uh, there were a lot of years, the offensive line under Mac 1.0 was soft as butter. Uh, so, uh, you know, yes, the defense was, uh, as you describe it, but uh, there was a good bit of not being tough, um, offensively. Uh, now they. Natron means was like the exception to that rule just because of the way he ran the ball, but the offensive line, uh, 
that was the one place where Mac Brown just could not recruit the first time around. Uh, he just was unable to bring in the studs that he needed on that offensive line for the most part. And I, I think that's probably, if you had to point to one reason why they didn't went, you know, weren't competitive that much in judgment day is because their offensive line could make no headway against a Florida state, uh, defensive line. So, um, uh, they, uh, you can't finesse defense, Greg. I mean, that's the thing is Fedora could finesse some offense. Mac could finesse enough offense in those years to win 10 and 11 games. But I feel like there is some correlation here with the, you can't finesse on the defensive side. You get mashed. And, and so where are, where are we moving forward watching this, develop because it cannot stand it cannot keep standing the same way it's going well we've talked about this a lot but butch davis was was very open back in the day he, he liked the cover too uh but he was very adamant that look if you can get pressure with four guys and they're really good up front it doesn't matter what you do on the back end mm-hmm. and i think gene chizik agrees with that the problem for gene is, is he's not getting any kind of push up front whatsoever despite having, uh, at least in terms of recruiting rankings, a lot of talent up front. It's just mind-boggling to me that the uh, defense has struggled to get pressure the way that it has. So that gets into a different conversation of, okay, um, and this is one of the things with, uh, I don't know if you want to go ahead and jump into some of the portal conversation, Tommy, but I think this is applicable. Um, you know, when you look at 10 guys on the defensive side of the ball and six defensive backs, jumping into the portal, I know there have been some conversation on on the message boards of, well, they just have to get their own guys in. No, what good coaches do is they they build a scheme, even if it's makeshift, to enhance the capabilities of the players that they have. I mean, Gene didn't have a ton of talent when he came in in 2015, and that defense got better overnight. Now, it wasn't elite, but there was enough talent for them to be adequate. They were like, you know, top 60, which when that offense was as good as it was, that's all they needed to be able to get to the ACC championship game. Uh, And so I think that's kind of where the disconnect is, is that they've got the talent and they've got bodies, at least on paper, but it's not producing. So how much of that is strictly on the coaches? I would say a lot. Uh, I, I haven't done the math recently, Tommy. I looked at this a couple weeks ago. At the time, Carolina was 118th in the country in FEI, which is what they are right now. And there may be a team or two behind them uh, that has switched out. But at that time, as of a couple weeks ago, there was 13 teams behind North Carolina in the rankings. Those 13 teams had combined to sign four, four stars or five stars over the previous four recruiting cycles. Carolina had signed 19. So there is a significant disconnect between uh, potential and production. Uh, and so I've just kind of been you – know, we know Gene Chizik's a good coordinator. He's had a lot of success over his time. So their inability this year to manufacture some level of success has really just been surprising. Oh, yeah. That, that stat right there is as damning as it gets for the people that are coaching these guys. Uh, I mean – it's one thing to have a five-star miss, um, and we've all seen 
a five star that has got a five star rating, but everybody around them says that's not a five star kid and all this. Well, like you said, 19 of those. Let me take a second and talk about Johnny T shirt. Johnny T shirt.com. It's 938. Shout out to the whew, 560 some people in the room. Uh, flattering that you guys join us on a Thursday night. But Johnny T-Shirt's where you need to be online. If you're not here, you need to be shopping at Johnny T-Shirt. Support them. We talk about local businesses all the time. Uh, they support Chapel Hill, the Franklin Street that once was. Well, Johnny, Johnny T-Shirt still is. And let's keep it that way. By going to see them on Franklin Street or visit them online, everything you could possibly need for your Carolina fandom, your Carolina friends, and Carolina family uh, for Christmas. And you still get it by Christmas time. They're good, great about that. Shop them. Johnny T-shirt, get your 10% off if you're a Tar Pit Premium Message Board. You know what's a good Christmas gift as well? A premium subscription at Inside Carolina. Good gracious. We'll have a guest next. And it'll be one of the reasons why you should have a premium Inside Carolina subscription. National Guys Will Pay the Bills will be right back. Football Roundtable, UNC. There is no offseason. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, guys, we're back. Tommy Ashley, Buck Sanders, El Jefe. Buck, it's, it's your rules. You are the leader of this bunch, so we hope we can produce up to your standard Greg Barnes and Doc Staples, Jason Staples here as well. I'm on a uh, shout-out to a guest and get them to come in here. But, Buck, what do you think about this discussion here? I mean, are these – these things are issues that can be corrected these issues can't be corrected or somebody else will have to correct the issues at a, at a later date. Where are we in your mind? Tough that, question. That's a great question, Tommy. And I'm not sure I got a good answer. Uh, I think that certainly uh, Mac gets the attention of coaches uh, nationally when he's conducting coaching searches. Um, North Carolina doesn't lack for uh, the ability to try to attract coaches. And Ross Martin uh, kind of nailed a lot of this last night when he was saying that uh, the the offensive coordinator position, in particular, is going to be extremely attractive nationwide. Come coach Drake May uh, is you know like. Uh, well, you lead with that, and then the rest of it is all gravy. You know, you're, North Carolina's a great place to live, blah, 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 blah. All that's cool, but you come in as your offensive coordinator, and you got, you're coaching Drake May. Uh, so 
those kinds of issues, uh, personnel issues on the coaching staff, I think it will be not that difficult to address. Some of the other issues that, that Jason talked about in terms of um, being, you know, Mac Brown has this reputation of being a CEO and um, as, as a football coach, which he, he doesn't like that moniker and kind of pushes back against that. But, but I think in this case, uh, some of the issues that Jason alluded to requires a CEO, right? You, you've got to, got to have somebody that is, you know, the buck stops here on their desk and they, they get to say, yes, this is going to pass or this is not going to pass. So uh, some of those issues may be thornier um, as time goes on, proves thornier. We'll see. Uh, I, I think sometimes to have that really magical season and, and to get to where North Carolina wants to be, uh, I think you have to have all the pieces fit together uh, for the program. And I don't know that Mac Brown has had that yet at North Carolina. I think there was some dissension uh, during the Jay Bateman era on, uh, you know, the, the, in the coaching staff, the defensive coaching staff, not pulling, you know, in the same direction. Uh, you know, I, I, I've heard that there was a lot of even disagreement over recruiting, whether they should recruit this particular guy or not. Um, and, and also an issue of who is Mac Brown listening to. Um, so those kinds of issues uh, is sort of more wait and see, but we've been waiting four years now. And, it, you know, it's kind of time for that kind of stuff to get together, to come together. Um, I wish I could uh, sound more a more positive note, but that's kind of where we are. Yeah, I, I mean – Jason, where are you here? Is this something uh, that can get turned around as it's currently situated? And I have our guests in the waiting room. You guys can see them, but don't don't spoil it. Ooh, um, yeah. Uh, as it's currently, as things are currently constructed, I'm not sure it's salvageable. I I think I think and. Look, I said before the year. And so, I mean, at this point, I'm only just saying what I said before the year. You'll remember this, Tommy. You'll remember this, Buck, Greg. I said before the year that if they don't get significant, like, top half of the ACC performance out of their defensive line this year, then changes needed to be made. Beat that drum. This is a result. This is, All offseason. This is a results-based business. How many times did I say that in the offseason? There's more than one. So. And you, you weren't exactly a voice crying alone in the wilderness on that topic either. So. No, yeah. but, but, folk, but I mean, you guys know, and folks know, I'm not somebody that calls for coaching changes a whole lot. I, I, you know, I don't believe normally coaching changes do as much to help you as, as a lot of people tend to think. But at a certain point, they're going to have to look closely in the mirror, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and say, look, now, now you've had two different coordinators. 
And there are certain position groups that have significantly underperformed. And that's with four-star, you know, blue-chip talent, sometimes five-star talent that is underperformed at those positions under multiple coordinators. You have to evaluate that. And then on the offensive side, when you're replacing a coordinator, as I said before, that the new coordinator is going to have to come in and evaluate how well the guys that are currently on the staff actually fit what he wants to do and whether or not they're guys that can pull in the same direction. So, no, I do not think that things in their current construction can just – that you can just hire a new offensive coordinator and plug and play and go on next year with no other changes and expect – this team to play in the ACC championship game again next year, especially without the coastal division next year. It's going to be harder to make the ACC championship game next year. I mean, it's going to be really, I mean, next year it's starting to look given that Florida state's managed to basically they're, they're keeping most of their contributors uh, that were draft eligible. They're, they're bringing all those guys back. It's going to be hard to you know you're gonna have to go in in front of a very good florida state team and in in front of clemson to be in the acc title game so you're gonna have to make some changes just to be there and i'm not sure even if you make changes you're gonna do that jeff braun being at louisville adds a new dynamic yeah and i mean and that louisville team has some talent yeah so you know it this is a time this is a i think a very pivotal time in north carolina football where the next what happens from here through let's say january is going to have ripple effects for three or four years from now and the last thing i want to see you know just as someone who covers this team and someone who none of us like the team that we cover to do really poorly it's just no fun um and you know i know people in that building i i I like it when carolina does really well the last thing that any of us want to see is for this to be like 2015. You make the you make the uh, ACC championship game. Things don't go quite so well. Then things kind of fall apart a little bit after that in, the, in you know late 2015. And then by 2016, 2017, the, whole, the wheels came off. So, you know, you can't let that happen here. And I think you have to, I think this is, this is an off season where Mac Brown is going to have to reevaluate every aspect of everything they do from off season workouts and how they construct the toughness building and all of that in January, all the way to how they practice situationally and what the practice schedule looks like and what they're doing on that to who the, you know, assistant coaches are to, to all of the, the different analysts and everything else without doing that. I think there, there, this is a, a very dangerous time for Carolina football. There's enough talent on this roster that if they do it right, they could steady the ship and, and move forward and, and do fine. But it's going to take some a hard look in the mirror and some hard decisions. Real talk inside Carolina, real talk, Jason Staples. Let me bring in our guest. Uh, this guy uh, is known by everybody. Wow, it made everybody smaller. It helps me out by making my <laughs> picture smaller. Mr. Don Callahan. Don, what's going on? Not too much. I was about to fall asleep in that waiting room. You know, this is past my bedtime. Well, uh, you know, you got the boss man right there in the middle. Well, isn't he? Isn't it past his bedtime too? I never oh. expected to see Buck up this <laughs> way. Late. Past my bedtime. <laughs> I didn't know Buck slept. <laughs> he I does figured. Not. He, I figured by by uh, seven a.m. he gets a round of golf, wrote up his story, and all that sort of stuff. So he needed <laughs> to get to bed pretty early every night. Hey, 
the the legend never sleeps. You got Jason Staples in here. You got Greg Barnes in here. I'm I'm here. Buck, of course, is here. So don't don't stink it up. We're, you heard Jason's comments there about um, where we are at this point in the program with covering Mac Brown and his team. Recruiting obviously is the lifeblood, but the transfer portal has changed the game on that level. Just speak to that a little bit, how maybe nowadays high school recruiting has taken a back seat, if it has, to, um, we'll say, transfer recruiting. Yeah, so I think the foundation of your program, any good program, is going to still have to be high school recruiting. And I think that um, the transfer portal is going to be used to kind of help fill some holes. I, I just think that any team that's going to rely heavily on the transfer portal is going to put them in, in a dangerous spot. And it's really going to make it difficult to establish any sort of long-term program because obviously those guys aren't, aren't lasting longer. You're not developing those guys. You know, and some of these guys that come in, you think they're going to be a fit. They're not a fit, you know, and you, you don't have a whole lot of time to kind of fix it. But as far as just, you know, this week has been, it's been nuts, you know, uh, just trying to handle everything and all the different names going in and, and just trying to juggle everything um, with the transfer portal particularly, but then you have all the, all the side stuff going on with, with the, you know, the coaching um, departures, uh, but the actual recruit, the high school recruiting, you, you minus a decommitment really has been kind of steady. So, so tell me this, um, you've kept up with the portal. Um, mm -hmm. We're not going to, I've told people to subscribe to Inside Carolina's premium message boards. And this is the guy, th this guy right here is why you should, along with Sherelle McMillan on the other side, recruiting wise. But um, as far as movement and how mm -hmm. long, uh, like when we should hear some, not just names dropping as, as you've done on the premium scoop and all that, but sort of commitments and all, what what have you seen timeline wise? I mean, I've seen a few across the country, but for North Carolina with an OC not there, offensive line coach in flux, uh, what can fans expect as far as timing wise to maybe hear some good news on the recruiting front? Well, there's not a whole lot of history to this to kind of look back on and, and see. My expectations are that things should happen much quicker than they happen with high school recruiting. And, um, and, uh, Sorry, I had to get my water. My my servant came up here, brought me some water. Um, wow, we don't have one of those. But can I get a servant? Sure. <laughs> but, wow. um So that's how the other half lives. <laughs> <laughs> the the majority of the guys that UNC is going after right now, the goal is to get them in in time for spring ball and obviously for the spring semester. So, I mean, we're talking. I don't know off the top of my head, but I feel like. Um, the, the semester begins like January 9th, 10th, something like that. So we're talking about a month's time. You have a dead period in there, which limits visit opportunities. A lot's going to happen, particularly for North Carolina next week when it comes to visits. Um, but there's going to be some stuff that's going to have to happen, obviously, um, legally during the dead period also to kind of make some decisions. But um, yeah, I, I, I would anticipate hearing some sort of news next week. But it's so hard to tell because this is really, I mean, we've had the transfer portal for the past couple of years, but this is the first time we've had it like this. So it's so hard to kind of, you, I don't have anything to kind of lean on to say this is how it was, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Go, Greg. 
Don, I had another one pop in my head, so I'm going to ask you two real quick. The first being um, Randy McGeorge, MACTTP on, on the boards, does a good job kind of tracking some of the, the roster numbers to give us an idea. Uh, and I think he has it at like five available scholarships right now, and I guess maybe an extra one with Keyshawn. Um, and given the normal attrition that occurs, you know, Carolina's probably looking at the potential of, of being able to add 10 to 12 more guys by the time training camp starts. Mm-hmm. That's a big number considering we're, uh, I mean, what, less than two weeks out from signing day? Um, so just in terms of where Carolina stands, do, do you have any, uh, I don't know it's just a guess, but do you have any idea, like, will the majority of that number come from the transfer portal? Do you think they'll really dive back into the high school ranks to try to find some, some diamonds in the rough? How, how do you think that'll play out? I don't think so. So UNC has two official visitors this weekend from the high school ranks. Uh, Jordan Louie running back from Georgia is one of them. The other one, and I'm, I'm in such transfer portal mode that I'm going blank here as, Oh, um, Michael short linebacker from Charlotte. So, um, the competition with those two is either non-existent or not very strong. So UNC has a good chance of landing both of those guys. Minus those two, I, I just don't see North Carolina adding anyone. Maybe something pops up like in January. Definitely nothing before the, the early signing period. I guess I should never, never say definitely nothing because this is recruiting and, and anything is possible. I don't anticipate anything before the early signing period. Could potentially someone you know, fall through the cracks, whatever it may be. I mean, UNC is going to hire a new quarterback coach, a new offensive line coach, and maybe they have someone that they really like. That's very possible. Um, but that would happen, obviously, after the the early signing period. Um, but, yeah, I mean, from the, the transfer portal-wise, um, you know, I think the, the vast majority of the, the additions is, is going to come from that. Is it going to match the number that you're throwing at me? You know, based off of – the 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 information that I have right now, no, um, I respect what Mac TTP does, but I don't think he's ever agreed with any of the coaching staff's numbers in the 20 years I've been doing this. And Mac and I have gotten have uh, been at eyes on different things. So this would not be the first time that Mac's numbers didn't match up with the, with the coaching staffs. So sure, I, I I had a quick quick question on that, and just in terms of of priorities in in terms of positions. I would imagine that trying to keep uh, Drake May happy with the best possible playmakers around him would be a priority here, but I haven't seen a whole lot of movement on that. So is there anything you can speak to on that in terms of what their, what the thoughts are internally on that? So um, I don't want to give away too much premium information, but we, we have made mention that playmakers, offensive skill players is something, I mean, I'll just say wide receiver is definitely something North Carolina is looking at. But you got to remember there are some younger wide receivers. Andre Green is the first one that pops in my mind. Didn't, you know, red shirt, will red shirt this year. Um, has a ton of talent. Um, there's other guys too who you don't want to ever, and Mac, Mac hasn't talked about this so much recently. He talked about it more last year and the year prior with the transfer portal. You don't want to clog up for these, these younger guys. In a lot of situations, I mean, everyone says, well, they've been on campus for or been on roster for, you know, two seasons, haven't done anything. 
but we, we need to give these guys some opportunity to see if they could do anything. You know, who thought, I mean, did anyone, anyone here think that, that Kobe Pacer was going to step in for Josh Downs when Josh Downs went, went, um, went down with an injury early in the season and really did a magnificent job? You know, if Josh, if Josh Downs doesn't get injured, we don't know what Kobe Pacer has, you know? And so I think that, um, you know, you don't want to clog up for those guys. But, yes, UNC is going to try to, to help Drake May through the through the transfer portal. Greg, go ahead. Uh, this is Don Callahan has joined it. Somebody said that uh, Tommy Buck, Greg, and Jason are the Mount Rushmore of – uh, podcast people or, or whatever on the message boards appreciate it i'll send the check um i'm the dude holding up the rock uh holding up the side of the mountain my i'm not giving out there. any bonuses for that comment <laughs> yeah, hey send us some more um in that case whatever i promised you uh, uh, that percentage is zero then <laughs> <laughs> nothing from nothing leaves nothing uh eddie murphy sang that in song one time uh don Greg's got another question, but I do want to reset it. It's the roundtable, UNC roundtable, Inside Carolina podcast. Don Callahan, Greg Barnes, Buck, Jason, and myself. Go, Greg. Don, with, with Phil Longo leaving, I um, wanted to get into a little bit on the amount of recruiting and the impact of recruiting of coordinators. Yeah, I know, I think everybody remembers back to 15, 16, when Gene was here the first time. Um, he wasn't known as a very impactful recruiter for you know, a couple reasons. And I know when Jay Bateman was here, uh, he seemed to be a net positive on the recruiting trail. You, to what extent was, was Longo active on the recruiting trail? How has Gene been in his first year back? And um, is there any concern now that, that Phil has left that they're going to have to fill some holes here in the next couple weeks? So Longo is actually – above average i would say for a coordinator you know, as you mentioned your coordinators typically they're not on your staff for recruiting purposes obviously you want them to contribute but that's not why they're there uh, but he you know not only did he recruit quarterbacks but he had his territories in state there were areas like um uh, foresight county which has winston-salem um, he went all the way down um, and recruited a bunch of other areas in 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 that uh, territory also um, he was involved with, you know, Kernersville with, with, you know, I know Rara is left, but uh, Rara Javari, he was heavily involved in those recruitments um, and, and just anybody from that area. Um, but also he had a very um, unique, intimate approach to recruiting quarterbacks. He liked to recruit them when they were, you know, sophomores or, or, you know, very early on when nobody else was really recruiting these guys, established strong relationships with them, not only because he wanted to land their commitments, but because he wanted to kind of get inside their heads, see if they're going to mesh. You know, Jason can speak to this, um, I'm sure, but quarterbacks and their offensive coordinators spend a ton of time together. So it was very important for Longo to know that that he was going to mesh with this guy and this guy was going to mesh with him. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I have always viewed him as a um, an above average uh, recruiter for, for a coordinator. I don't think so. I did talk to Tad Hudson. Um, I guess it was last night. My, my days are starting to run together. It feels like three days ago that Longo left and is what barely 24 hours. But anyway, was, it, um, was that really yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> so um, Tad was sick, so he couldn't talk to me long, but um, said it had no impact on him. 
you know, um, I mean, and that makes sense, you know, uh, given his his connections. I think it's his sister, at, I, I assume still does, but at one point dated Drake May. Um, and regardless, the families are very, very close. So you imagine that that's probably a lot stronger of a tie than uh, Phil Longo uh, departing. Um, for the for future classes, you know, there's really only one quarterback that UNC was pursuing, may, uh, maybe Metter, and maybe um, is probably UNC probably falls out for him. That's probably not a huge deal because I'm sure UNC could find an equivalent quarterback elsewhere with its new quarterback coach. Um, but uh, I feel like you asked another question in there, and um, I'm going blank. Just about Gene, kind of how oh. if he's changed any as a recruiting presence. You're trying to put you're trying to get me in trouble here. Um, he's definitely been better. Uh, was very active with Jay Brown Harvey. Was very active with uh, Tyler Thompson and their recruitments. You know, I would you know I would say it's a typical recru- uh, coordinator recruiter, maybe slightly below, um, but definitely not. I felt like the first time around um, he was just not very active. Um, maybe used some in some instances as kind of like a closer. Um, as you guys kind of t- uh, talked about earlier, when I, I think of, when I was in the waiting room, um, you know, that was kind of his side. It was his half of the team. So he was kind of the closer for the defense in those sort of situations. But beyond that, he didn't do a whole lot. I don't think he went on the road nearly as often as, as the other coaches through that time. But he had a different situation at that point. Let me ask one last question. This is Don Callahan, Inside Carolina recruiting expert. And the reason, well, it's a couple of reasons, but the reason to get Inside Carolina premium subscription for your loved ones for Christmas. Uh, Don, question in the chat, and I can't find it because they're firing them off so quick, but uh, perceived lack of player development, perceived or reality or whatever, how does that affect um, the recruiting trail for teams? You know, I don't think we got to remember we're dealing with high school kids and anybody who has high school kids will know how short their attention spans are and how (laughs) and how um, close to detail they pay to anything. You know, um, maybe because I have I have high school kids in my house and, you know, it just blows my mind sometimes with them. So I can only imagine you these that. I'm sure other opposing staffs are bringing this information up to them, you know, as a negative recruiting tactic. How much of that is going to stick? You know, I don't know. You know, I think really it still ultimately comes down to where you're comfortable at, you know, who you're comfortable with, that sort of stuff. Does it help? No, it definitely doesn't help. You know, it it doesn't, you know, there's a lot of things I could point to um, that, that, that has happened or has been talked about the past couple of months that, that surely does not help with recruiting. But um, I just, I just, I don't think I've ever heard a recruit say, well, I'm not going to this school because they don't, they, they haven't been able to develop this position, you know, my position. I just, you know, but I'm, I'm sure, it, but like I said, it's not, it's not helping at all. That is Don Callahan. Anything else for the expert so we can let him get back to uh, sleep water. Yeah. Back to sleep. Buck, you, you got anything for Don? You need to. Buck, you are you to... awake over there, Buck? <laughs> You you need to get Don uh, <laughs> into shape here. No, I think Don is doing just fine. And in fact, uh, Don and I and uh, families need to get together for dinner Absolutely. Night, uh, uh, for too long during the off season. We need Absolutely. to go to the man tower and, get, and have some nachos. <laughs> we need we need to get Buck and Greg know. 
The way Greg? Walsh Martin talks about the bar food up in the man tower, I don't <laughs> know if I want to go. <laughs> we, yeah, we need to have a night. We can uh, figure it out. Don Callahan will be quite busy signing day on the 21st of December. Good gracious, man. What are you trying to do? Get it right next to Christmas? We'll do something special for, for uh, Inside Carolina signing day with mm-hmm. Don Callahan. Don, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. Well, thanks for it, inviting me. Appreciate all you do for us. You keep us informed and keep all the Inside Carolina folks informed of the recruiting trail, the lifeblood of the North Carolina and every college football program. Appreciate it, Don. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Love that dude. He works his butt off. And it is – he's right. I mean – Trying to figure out what teenagers are going to do is unbelievable. And that's just a, uh, a fact of the matter of it. Buck, let's wrap this show up. What have we learned? What do we expect? And what do we think we'll be talking about tomorrow when we do an, uh, another emergency pod? I mean, it just seems like that's what's going on these days. Yeah, it does seem that way. And, and I think probably, uh, you know, Greg early on uh, mentioned that uh, – you know, we should all take a very deep breath. And uh, if, you, if you're going to be hitting the panic button every time, you know, we uh, get a new headline of uh, somebody hitting the portal, uh, you're in for a very rough off season. Eventually, I suspect there is going to be some good news to report, as in we're getting somebody out of the transfer portal that we really wanted. Uh, those kinds of things will come about. And, you know, this is not uh, Mac Brown's first rodeo in, in terms of having to change direction and, and uh, revamp his staff a bit. So it, I, I just put that in my back pocket and, and just not try to panic and not try to, uh, and as Greg says, just take a few deep breaths and see how this plays out. There's going to, I mean, if it's going to be this way the entire off season, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, try to go on vacation to Norway or something. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we got a long way to go before spring practice. Uh, I'll put it that way. And and the time to start making assessments would be in spring and then in the summer, not right in December. That's right. And, and remember, Mac, when, when Mac had to retool at one point at Texas, they ended up winning a national championship a little bit after that. And then there was another time where it didn't go as well. But, I mean, he's, he's retooled with success before. It is. Uh, Jason, close us out with, with your final words here. I mean, who knows? We might be talking again tomorrow. But right this moment, like you talked about, there's been retoolings before. There's going to be retoolings here. Probably going to be 15 to 20 different faces on the team um, that everybody has to learn in spring practice maybe. Uh, you know, with incoming freshmen and transfer portal people, um, certainly un, uncharted waters, we'll say, for especially for North Carolina. Close us out with your segment. Main thing for me is that they're just going to have to find a way to, regardless of what of of who they keep, who you know, who ultimately has to move on. In addition to what we're what we're seeing, they're going to have to find a way to really inject toughness and uh a really really uh basically toughness and pride into the program that works across both sides of the ball 
And that's really what I want to see. It's hard to, it's hard. It's one of those things that's hard to measure, right? I mean, you hear it's a cliche, but you know, you get coaches that point to their chest and, you know, you can't measure this. You can't measure that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true. And it is cliched, but I mean, sometimes you see teams that really outpunch their, their weight. And, uh, that's, that's the thing that I think they're going to have to figure out moving, moving into the next, uh, into the next phase. So that's going to mean that Mac's going to have to not just hire a really good coordinator. And again, there's so many coordinators who will want to work with Drake may and with the talent that they've got in Chapel Hill, that it's not going to be hard to find a good one who wants in. The real key is going to be finding the right one. Who's going to actually fit with the culture that they need to have. And who's going to help change the culture for the better. And that's much harder to assess. And that's something that Mac Brown's going to have to really do a lot of, uh, legwork on and a lot of evaluation on to make sure that he brings in the right, really good coordinator when they, when they hire the next one. Indeed. Greg Barnes, close us out. You've always got the numbers. Yeah. A couple of numbers here to kind of finish things up. Uh, in addition to Drake may being a carrot to dangle in front of an offensive coordinator, Phil Longa made just a little bit above $1 million this year. Uh, so that's, while that's not uh, Georgia, Texas A&M, and maybe even Clemson with Venable's numbers, that's competitive. So I think that that one-two combo speaks very well for uh, what Mac Brown can can find. Um, we talk about the portal. There's a couple things that I think people need to understand. It's a 45-day window, uh, which means it runs until January 18th. The other number that factors in right there is that the Early entry deadline for the NFL draft is January 16th. So guys will have to make a de decision about the NFL if anybody has one on the 16th, and then they've got two days to get into the portal if they want to. So that's something to look at. I, I think that week, first couple of days of that week, I believe the 16th is on a Monday. Uh, that'll probably be a little bit of an active period for maybe some of the uh, better players who are just kind of waiting to see that they – can they jump? And if they can't jump, they need to go into the portal to find another landing spot. Uh, there's also another transfer portal window that you need to be aware of, and it's after spring practice. It's May 1st through May 15th. So we've seen it at Carolina uh, last couple of years, and I think a lot of schools have dealt with it as well. You get through spring practice, you have another session of performing in front of the coaches, and if you don't perform and you don't hear what you want to hear from the coaches or they don't see what they want to see, you may see some more activity this first two weeks of May. Um, and then in terms of kind of where we stand, uh, Sports Source Analytics does a good job tracking all the transfer portal numbers. Um, today is Thursday, so as of earlier this evening, there had already been more than 1,200 kids at the FBS level that had entered the portal since Monday. Uh, that's just a crazy number. Um, Carolina uh, had two five-stars enter, Tony Grimes and Keyshawn Silver. Uh, Tony ranked number six all-time. Keyshawn ranked number seven all-time in terms of North Carolina recruits in the internet era. That's pretty significant. Uh, and people were wondering about how many five-stars. 84 five-stars have entered the portal thus far, uh, which I think is 0.7%. Um, which is pretty, I mean, in terms of ratio, that's probably about right for the standard amount each year. 
Uh, and then the other thing is uh, Carolina has had 12 guys right now enter the portal. Um, that number's a little bit high in terms of uh, teams with winning records. The average for teams with winning records right now is right at seven. I was going to guess eight. Yeah. Yep. So Carolina is a little bit higher than that. Yep. I was uh, cleaning up the bots and the trolls uh, trying to when you were in here. When, when you were talking about all the numbers, the numbers are incredible. I, I mean, I was looking at also NC State hired Syracuse OC, evidently. Whoa. Um, that's, a, that's a big pickup for Dave. Yeah. So uh, Robert and I to, so, to North Carolina State. That, that, so does uh, Brennan mm. Armstrong? Yeah. Oh. That's uh that that's a re- actually a really good hire for for yeah. uh, for NC State. That's a 100%. really really good hire. One hundred percent. And yeah, that I I gotta say, both Storm Duck and and Silver are I think really big losses for the defense. Uh, you know, Grimes also has has talent. There's no question about that. Uh, but you know, those kind of losses do not help you, obviously. Yeah, uh, indeed. And you wonder, you know, there, there has been some discussion. I mean, we already saw Day-Day Hollins come back in, you know, after, after coming into the portal. You do wonder whether or not there's any chance that, you know, after some discussions and also after whatever UNC decides to do in certain respects, whether or not those guys end up actually moving on or whether, you know, this is a test the waters situation with some of this. You know, I'll, I'll be interested to see what actually happens because not everybody that enters the portal actually stays in or, or uh or leaves it'd be interesting to see uh, folks wanted like greg you started the show carolina fans want big time football this is what happens they're all over the place uh coordinators leave players leave players transfer oh, robert and i it is a interesting pickup for nc state but north carolina's on the clock to get an offensive coordinator and maybe some other positions buck sanders el jefe doc staples Greg Barnes, I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. It's been a football roundtable inside Carolina special podcast. There is no offseason. I would wager we'll talk again soon, folks. Appreciate everybody joining and Johnny T-shirt. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Tommy. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus.